Father, again, we look to you for superintending uh, involvement in the things that we do here. Everything that takes place, be pleased with our efforts, we pray. Amen. <coughs> As New Testament saints, the physical bodily resurrection ought to be a great concern to you. What did the old what did the disciples of Christ know about? Paul and Kevin talked about Mathetes. Kevin talked about the discipleship word. And we, we, we do need to be careful that, I mean, it's a very popular word, but it's probably not the best word to describe what we are doing when we're teaching fellow saints. Um, it has a much more restricted use than that. <clears throat> and so, without being too provocative, let's just say... Um, the followers of Christ, Old Testament, what did they know about resurrection? Do you know? I mean, do any of you know? Did they know about the resurrection? You're pretty... Uh, yeah, exactly. You think they did? Yeah. Okay. The scribes and Pharisees asked, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And obviously, a fanciful ploy. Um, because one group there didn't believe in the resurrection. You have references to the resurrection in the Old Testament. Most of your teaching on resurrection comes from the New Testament. And most of it, really, the New Testament saints are right in the crosshairs, right center of the screen. <coughs> first Corinthians 15. We'll spend the rest of our time in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll try to do this as, as expeditiously as possible. All right? In the gospel, by which we are, and it's a present passive indicative, being saved. Um, in verse 2. And, and that is a bit provocative. Um, producing some questions we won't contemplate tonight. But if you have opportunity and are, and are invited... To witness the gospel to somebody, please use this text here. I texted to a friend of mine and said, I'm going to see John Hildebrand. I hope John's not listening. Well, I guess I hope he is. Um, well, well, I mean, I think he's, uh, he's I'm not sure he's saved, said, believing this, that, and the other thing. And I said, well, what do I say? And I said, well, you give him the gospel. So I texted him verbatim from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. How that Christ died first sins according to the scriptures, buried, rose again third day according to the scripture. Um, don't want to be too hurried with it, but that that needs to be the core of what they believe. <clears throat> the resurrection of the dead in the, the, the chapter division in the text I'm looking at begins first Corinthians fifteen verse twelve. Paul starts out in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death for sin, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, Kevin, do you have an opinion about this? I, I hadn't really contemplated how many among this church in Corinth were not believers in the resurrection. 
I had never, I had never contemplated that before. But I mean, I think you have to contemplate that there may have been some some professing Christians in Corinth that didn't believe in the resurrection. A lot of mischief going on there. Well, he's going to put this. He's going to put this to rest, and he does it masterfully in a classic discourse. <clears throat> now, here's the thing I want to mention about this. We're going to move on. Um, you've got a ton of first-class conditions. If this, then that. Uh, uh, if this, and we know it's true. The construction occurs this way. You have a protasis and an apodosis. You don't need to remember those terms. But the if part is the protasis. The apodosis is then. If, Lotus 1, 2, 3, they used to have add if. At this point, if you presume this, then this will happen. If this, then this. Well, what if not this? Well, then not this. If this, and oh, by the way, let's establish for the sake of discussion, this is true. If this, then this. Then this follows. But if we can put this to naught, then this is no longer certain. <clears throat> now here's another way this works. Let's just say for sake of argument, let's accept this as a given. It doesn't even have to be factual. It can be theoretical. But let's just say for sake of argument. I want to build a point here. I want, to, I want to build an analysis here. And let's just, let's just accept as a given, for the sake of discussion, this. Sometimes the first class condition is used that way. And down in this context, he will say, if it's about verse, what, 23? Uh, it's not verse 23. Every man in his order. If Christ be... Look at verse 17. If Christ be not raised. Well, that's a first class condition. And so some people would just carelessly say, since Christ is not raised, what Paul is saying is, wait a minute. Let me demonstrate to you how important the resurrection out from among dead ones is. If the dead rise not, verse 16. Let's say for sake of discussion, the dead are not going to rise. Then you're not going to rise. Do you have a relative die recently? you got a relative that's... How are we doing, by the way? Are they still hanging on? I mean, you got an uncle, right? Okay. Who's had a relative die recently? A Christian relative die recently. Okay. Okay. If there's no resurrection... You're not going to be raised out from among dead ones. And neither will they. If we, let, let's say for sake of discussion, Christ is raised, then resurrection is a valid notion. But suppose we say, just for the sake of discussion, Christ is not raised. Let's accept that as a given. Then guess what? No resurrection for you. It's going to turn on how do you feel about physically, physical bodily resurrection. Is it taught in Scripture? Is it not? So he uses these first class conditions and he really develops this methodically, almost tediously. Up around verse 19. If in this life only we have hope, 
let's say let's say it's a given that we only hope in this life and we don't care about resurrection. We're of all men most miserable. <clears throat> but now is Christ risen? Christ is risen out from among dead ones and become the first fruits of them that sleep. Christ is the first begotten out from among dead ones. There is no physical bodily resurrection unless and until you have the sinless Son of God as the first fruits. Now you have a schematic. Now you have something that can duplicate. For since by man, verse 21, for since by man came death, now he's going to do something else, he's going to, he's going to talk about Adam, he's going to talk about Christ, he's going to talk about identity with Adam and identity with Christ, he's going to put, set some things in counterpoint. Earthy, heavenly, natural, spiritual, and he's going to end up revealing a mystery to them. For since by man, verse 21, came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Christ came out from among dead ones as the God-man. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now there are a lot of things we can contemplate about this, but listen. Are unbelievers going to be resurrected? Yes or no? Of course. The authority of God the Son, John chapter 5. There's coming a day when all who are in the graves will come forth by command of God the Son. But look at verse 23. But every man in his own... Now that word that's translated order is tagma. And it's a regimented, systematic order. Everyone in his order. You know enough about physical bodily resurrection to know that there is not a single event where everybody who's in the grave comes out at the same time. So what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 15 is a staging. And I'm going to tell you, I believe from some markers in this text that he is really contemplating in this discourse, he is contemplating New Testament resurrection. He says nothing about Daniel 12, verse 2. He says nothing about the resurrection of the unjust. And when he gets down to the end, I think there's something that I frankly hadn't given enough consideration to. And uh, we'll look at it when we get there. Every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. He's already called Christ the first fruits up in verse 20. Christ is the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ's at his coming. Now, some are going to teach some good people, friends of mine, um, and I'm not here to dispute them. I am not confident teaching that this involves all saints. I am confident teaching that this involves New Testament saints. They are in Christ, and I think the coming is the rapture. I don't think it's the second coming. I think this is the rapture. And he certainly will not have all saints with him. 
when he comes at the rapture. He will only have New Testament saints with him. I think that's probably what the people who are listening, receiving this discourse are thinking. Those that are Christ's at his coming. And the coming here, it is the word, uh, wait a minute, it's parousia, I'm pretty sure. At his coming, it is parousia. And this is a restrictive coming. This is the coming that will occasion the rapture. So first Christ, then Christ said his coming. Then cometh the end. If this is the rapture, this is not the end. There are a ton of other things that happen here. But in the context of physical bodily resurrection with a peculiar feature that he's going to explain later on, this is the end. Except one detail that he's going to share with us later. <laughs> if this Where's the resurrection of the unjust? Then cometh the end, and he delivers up the kingdom to God, to the Father. That's verse 22. That's not verse 22, that's verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. There's a ton of eschatological events that have to sequence before that happens. This is a restrictive discourse. This is talking about physical bodily resurrection, I believe, of New Testament grace believers with a peculiar feature that is yet unknown to them. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all, let's see, for he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him unto the Father that God may be all and in all. Now that's, a, that's an interesting phrase that gives us a clue about the eternal state. And I'm not really sure what that... Kevin, do you have an opinion about this? Have you ever taken a deep dive in this? I, I didn't prepare you for this. God will be all and in all. I, I, have you ever taught on this? Interesting. So, so, so the econ you're suggesting the economic relationship will dissolve. Yeah, yeah. That's what does it say about us? I'm not sure. But you know that wherever the sun is, you will be. Then God will be all and in all. Fascinating phrase. I've got a book at home on this phrase right here, and I've never read it. But as far as I got into it, it didn't tell me anything. Um, okay. You got some other you got some other verses here that I'm going to skip over. Um, how are the dead raised? Verse 35. And with what body do they come? With what body do they come? No one at this point is convinced. No one in Christ's day. Was not a shred of evidence that anyone was convinced that this physical body could walk right into the presence of the Father. No one. Something has to change 
We just don't know what it is. Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Something has to die. It has to do, and he uses an agricultural metaphor here, it has, something has to be planted, and from it new life develops. I'm going to skip down over some of this because our time is fleeting, but I want to get to um, God giveth it a body, verse 38, as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. The seed is that which dies and germinates and produces the life and frankly physical bodily resurrection. The metaphor of a seed germinating and producing new life belongs to this analysis. All flesh, verse 39, is not the same flesh. We are very certainly talking about a body, a fleshly body, are we not? There is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of Another flesh of beasts. And by the way, that's Allah's there. That's very interesting. That's another of the same kind. And another Allah's of fishes and another of birds. How is your body similar to the body of an animal? Similar flesh. Heteros is the different kind. This is Allah's. There is one flesh of man, another similar kind of beasts. Wow. We need to pay attention to this. This is telling us something. There is some peculiarity that makes you similar to animal life. What would it be? There is also there are also celestial bodies. Now we're talking about stars and, and celestial uh, bodies. Bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial terrestrial is another. There is one glory, and let's just kind of simplify that and say good opinion of the sun and another glory of the moon, apparently different in rank. And by the way, the reward that is going to issue to Old Testament saints borrows from this analysis right here. Shining. Some as the firmament, some as stars, some as... Uh, another celestial body, some is the sun. Varying degrees of luminescence. Another glory of the stars, verse 41, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Differeth in the weighty estimate, the good opinion, what you think of it, based on what it's supposed to, you know, how it's supposed to look. So also the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption... What's that word corruption? That's rottable. It is able to rot. What makes the body able to rot? It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a... How many of you mark in your Bibles? Who doesn't? That'd be easier. Lynn, do you? <laughs> it is sown. Does anybody know what this word is? Sown a natural body. Was anybody here in the Sunday school about six weeks ago? I wrote in Solish. You wrote in Solish. Well, were you cheating? Scott, you're looking on her paper. Did you tell her that? No, it was somewhere here. It was somewhere here. Yeah. 
somewhere right in front of you or somewhere here or one of the teachers it might have been Kevin might have been Courtney might have been Don could have been me because we all know this because the word is soulish it is sown a natural body it's sown a soulish what were we just talking about it's sown a soulish body soulishness is intrinsically human animals have souls but not human souls and the, the, the interplay between your soul and your spirit and your body makes you intrinsically human soulishness intrinsically human now the King James translator said natural you would do yourself well to mark in your soulish of or pertaining to the soul naturally emanating the things of the soul that's what you do I'm not looking at you Lynn for any particular reason but just <laughs> um, that's what we all do I'm hungry if I didn't have a soul I wouldn't be hungry I ate two bites of food before I came to where I am right now it is sown a natural body a soulish body a body which wants to emanate the things of the soul and will do so naturally it is is it physical remember the conversation we had with what's his name Bob Bill. 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 Is it a is it a physical body that's sown? Put in the ground? Yes or no? When the last, come on you guys. When was the last time you went to a to a funeral? Physical body in a casket, right? That's the same when they put it in the ground. Come on. It's a physical body. It's a soulish body. It's a soulish physical body. It's a physical body that wants to emanate the things of the soul. It is raised a spiritual body. <clears throat> oh, well, we all knew that. The resurrection body is spiritual. Right? Is it physical? <laughs> Busted! She almost shook her head. <laughs> Bless your heart. Um, yes, yeah, physical. It's sown a physical body, it's raised a physical body. It's sown a soulish physical body wanting to emanate naturally the things of the soul. It's raised a physical body wanting to naturally emanate and will naturally emanate the things of the spirit. How do we know it's physical? Tom? Come over, son. Put your hand right there. See that nail? Put your hand right there. Touch me. Feel me. Right? It's a physical body. Oh, by the way, I'm hungry. Bring me some fish. <clears throat> it is a physical body wanting to emanate the things of the spirit. Will it be without a relationship to the soul? What do you think? Are you convinced that man is tripartite? <laughs> are you okay are you convinced that man in the resurrection is tripartite <laughs> your wife's looking at you pretty <clears throat> but yes it will all be um, it will all be glorified the soul is going to be saved when the physical body is saved so says 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9 actually technically verse 9 right 
So humanity is tripartite. Um, the resurrection body will have a soul. But it will be obedient. It will not be getting up on its hind legs and being truculent in the back seat of the car when the Spirit's trying to drive. Or being truculent right here when the Spirit's trying to drive. If you take my meaning. <laughs> it is raised a tripe it is sown a tripartite body with a, with a soulish bent. It is raised a tripartite physical body with a spiritual bent. I wonder how much of that they understood. I don't know. <clears throat> so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living, not nephesh, but suke, soul. Last Adam was made a quickening, a life-giving spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. By the way, what did we already see? He's going to come out of heaven. He came out of heaven, the incarnation. The disciples had no concept of a man going back to heaven. He said, I will go back to heaven. And so will you. You will go to heaven because of a benefit of the finished work of Christ. And you will go back to heaven in a tripartite body. And by the way, that's where the sun is right now in a tripartite body. Because he is man. Intrinsically tripartite. <coughs> Verse 48, we're getting to it. As the earthy such are they that are earthy. And as the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image, by the way, that is icon. If you're careful, the image of God, which Adam bore, but which Adam's children did not. When you compare that with the comparative analysis in the New Testament, it is an icon. Adam bore an image that in the New Testament is called the icon. His icon in the Greek. It's the corresponding term in Greek. And we think that Adam was clothed over with something because when he was without it, he was stripped. Not just naked, he was stripped. Having been stripped. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the icon, the image of the heavenly. Now look at verse 50. And I'll bet Tim is listening. And I hope he's smiling. Because I think I found what I was looking for. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that, the, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Why on earth does he make mention of flesh and blood here? 
Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. And by the way, similar language here to 1 Thessalonians 4. Good. There's every reason for there to be. Twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, unrotting, unrottable. And we shall all be changed. How? We will now be flesh and bone. Not flesh and blood. And if you look at Luke chapter 24 verse 39, I believe, is it 39? Luke 24, 39. That is precisely the way he describes his resurrection body. Spirits do not have flesh and blood, but flesh and bone. Well, it doesn't say spirits have flesh and bone, but uh, let's, go, let's go find that. Luke 24, 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. That's more correct. It's good we went there. He doesn't really explain it here. But notice, this is no longer flesh and blood. This is now flesh and bone. I don't profess to understand everything Scripture tells me. But there is a reason that every... You hunter? Do you hunt? Don't you bleed the animal out, typically? What happens if you don't? You damage the prospect. I mean, you really add some burden to how you're going to dress that meat. Do you not? I'm not a hunter. But there is a reason that the resurrection body is not flesh and blood. Apparently, it's flesh and bone. And I don't know how much of it is explained here, but I do know that if the rapture was a mystery, I would expect to see it described as a mystery in 54 AD when he wrote 1 Thessalonians 4. And he does not call it a mystery. I believe this is talking about the rapture. But I believe the mystery here is in the change, the peculiar nature of the change in the body. And I'm not sure I understand everything there is to know about it. What, what is this spirit? Pardon me? What is spirit in this context? In Luke 24, 39, or in 1 Corinthians 15? Luke. In Luke, <clears throat> um, I think what he's telling them is, I think he's emphasizing to them that I... I'm, I'm human. I have a body. Touch me. And I think he throws this in here. A spirit you would not expect. He came through the door. I mean, through the wall, didn't he? He was not there and then he was. But he's in a physical body. He is not a, an immaterial spirit. 
Does that, does that, I mean, it may not satisfy you, but does that answer what you're asking? I'm not sure. Okay. Behold my hands and my feet. Look, I'm more than a spirit. I am not, I'm not an angel, for example. No, no, uh, no, I, I had to correct what I said. A spirit, would, he's saying a spirit does not have flesh and bone. Now, I would have expected him to say, I, I, I really misspoke. I shouldn't have tried to do that from memory. I knew it was Luke 24, 39. I should have gone there, and I've actually got it written in my notes, but I wasn't looking at the notes. So... <clears throat> I think what he's telling them is, look, look, you, you, you guys, touch me, taste me, I mean, not taste me, but touch me, handle, I mean, the things that we have handled concerning First Peter chapter 1. We were with him. We touched him. We handled him. Um, and, and, and Thomas, I mean, this is, this is me. This is me. I, it's not just, a, it's not an apparition. It's not just a... I mean, oh, you could be persuaded later. Well, Tom, you, you hadn't eaten in a while, probably. You're really overwrought. You, are you sure you didn't just see a ghost, a spirit? Could have been him in spirit. Well, maybe. But he actually had corporeal flesh. Didn't have blood. And he doesn't explain it here in Luke 24. But it is very, very interesting, and most good students pick up on this. I mean, I mean, I remember when it was first. Look, not flesh and blood, flesh and bone. Did he have blood? I, I don't think he did. The life of this flesh, this kind of flesh, this earthy flesh, is is. There has to be blood. But apparently not this resurrection body. And I don't know how scientific these guys were. I don't know what their scientific aptitude was. But Paul says, as soon as he says, he, he makes the, let's go back here and look at it. As soon as he makes the, shoot, I don't have a good way to go back to it. Here we go. In verse 50, he says, now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why does he go back to that? Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Well, let me show you a mystery. Let me show you a mystery. You may not have thought about it, but here's how your recognizable body is going to be fit for the heavenlies. You're not going to die. Some of you will not die, but you will be changed. What did they see? They saw one out from among dead ones. Now, I, I, I'm not sure the best way to dovetail this with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we will not all die. But there's nothing in 1 Thessalonians 4 that I see that talks about the resurrection body specifically. And 1 Thessalonians 4 is not called a mystery. Why? I don't know. And by the time you get this, 1 Thessalonians 4, is, I don't know if it's encyclical by then, but it's already been around for five years. So, <clears throat> the two things I want you to get 
from 1 Corinthians 15. Actually, well, there are a number of things. Uh, don't, don't ever overlook the gospel. Don't overlook the fact that you have an order of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And it seems, I think, to narrow to New Testament church saints. doesn't talk about the unjust. It doesn't talk about Old Testament saints. Those that are Christ at his coming, some have seen, some see that to encompass everyone over whom Christ has an ownership prerogative. And, and that might include Old Testament saints. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a good way to, to say that. He certainly has ownership prerogative because he has certain prerogatives over life and death. Um, but I don't. I I think this is this is a, a more narrowly focused discourse, and I think he is really driving at this point. Listen, the body has to change. We've already shown you that the body is. There's a difference between the soulish body and the spiritual body. They're both physical, but there is a difference. Understand, there's a difference. And by the way. It, it, that is a good place, and I'll say this again. I've told you, I don't know where you first became confident about, I mean, some of these things during your, your, uh, your back in your, when you were pulling your hair out, you pulled it all out. Um, just kidding. <coughs> that good-looking bald man. <laughs> Somebody that tuned in, I gave him the link to it. She said, is that, is that handsome bald man your pastor? I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We have some other bald men too. I don't know if they're as handsome, but <laughs> anyway, um, I asked a friend of mine one time, and Valida Cisneros may be listening. It was her husband. No, it wasn't Jeff. It was Byron. I said, "Give me some references, clear references, the differentiate between soul and spirit." Well, you got Hebrews four. You got First Thessalonians five twenty-three. He said. Um, First Corinthians 15. And I looked at it and said, I don't see it well. It's because it translates soulish natural. He said the physical body in the resurrection is spiritual. The body that dies is physical, but it is soulish. There's a difference between the soul and the spirit. They dance in the same space often. They never seem to separate according to scripture. But they are not the same thing. And if you don't understand that, you will not grasp biblical anthropology and your pastor's been telling you, been been almost harassing you, as long as I've been down here. Modern psychology does not know what to do about this. So, they make stuff up. You know, you have to deal with the fact that there is an immaterial part of you that does not want to behave. <laughs> and by the way, major gateway for the sin nature. <laughs> okay, this is probably a good place to stop. Um, we're going to put some papers on the internet. The Lord is, I believe, going to graciously provide an intermediate, but what about our relatives that have died? You don't have the resurrection bodies yet. Your mom. Your mom, right? Kevin's mom, my mom. They're hanging out, dude. Imagine that. Oh, my word. <laughs> Look out. What they will have to say. But 
they don't have their resurrection bodies yet. So are they just well, they're just spirit and soul? That shouldn't be a problem for God. Well, it's not a problem for God, but if you're intrinsically tripartite, you're less, your humanity depends on your tripartite body, spirit, soul, body. You yearn to be clothed over with a corporeal shape by which you can be identified. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2. What if the Lord provided an intermediate body for people like Kevin's mom whose soul hasn't been saved yet but who's not fighting her soul? What a gracious provision that would be, huh? My mom suffered a lot of pain. She's not suffering pain now. She's got an intermediate body that is awaiting the time of her resurrection. Why are you laughing? That's a nice thought, isn't it? That's a great I'm thought. Smiling. Yeah, you're smiling. You're not laughing. Man, my brother Philip, and you do see him today in his right mind. The maniac of Gadara in Mark chapter 5, I think. And I'm telling you, when my mom saw my brother Philip, he suffered hemorrhagic disease of the newborn when he was three days old. She never knew him in his right mind. But now she does. And they still don't have the resurrection bodies yet. The Lord has provided a gracious... We're going to talk about that. I'm going to put a paper on the internet. And um, we may not talk about it extensively, but we'll, we'll go over some of it.